Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter number 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Good worship this morning. It's good to be here today. Over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be preaching messages about the family and things like that. I want to remind you that next Sunday is our baby dedication, so if you want to be a part of that, just call the church office this week. Miss April will take your information, and we'll do that as part of our service the next Sunday. We'll be preaching on the, on the family uh, as a whole next week. Today, I'm going to preach about honoring marriage. If you found Hebrews chapter number 13, if you'll put your finger there, please. Let's hold our Bibles up in the air. Let's say this together. You ready? I pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word, and will make it a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path, and will hide its words in my heart that I may not sin against God. Do you believe that? I do too. Um, Hebrews is a great book. We don't know who wrote it. Most people think it was the Apostle Paul. Uh, well, we don't know who the human author is. We know that God wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, many believe that the human author is uh, the Apostle Paul. We don't know that for sure. A lot in this book. Uh, people had gone back from uh, following Christ. These are second generation Christians that had never seen Christ. Most of them were Jewish and they had, uh, had that phrase out of sight, out of mind began to creep in and they began to revert back to what they knew to do. The rituals and all those types of things. Uh, it goes on, there's talks about Jesus being superior than the angels, preaching out of the order of Melchizedek. This book is filled with stuff. Hebrews chapter number 11 has got the Hall of Fame of Faith in it. Uh, you can find a lot of the Old Testament in Hebrews 11. gives us the definition for faith. Then you work your way on through chapter 12 and chapter number 13. And, and I just gave them one verse. So if we just got one on there. But I want to read. I want to start with verse number one. I just threw those guys a curveball. I just gave them one. But I'm going to start with verse number, or chapter number 13 of Hebrews. Verse number one. The Bible says, let brotherly love continue. What he's beginning to talk about here is how to live a holy life and an obedient life. And don't we all want to do that? We all want to live a holy life. You don't hear a lot about holiness. But we want to live a holy life, and we want to live an obedient life, and those two things go together. In these first five verses, there's four things that he basically mentions, but I want to hone in on one today. It says, let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember them that are in bonds, as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity, and being yourselves also in the body. Marriage is honorable in all. And the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers will God judge. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he saith, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. So these, this passage, he talks about four things really quickly that you need to have at least these things to live a holy life and obedient life. And one is to be good to strangers. The other one is to be mindful of those that are in prison and those that have been mistreated and those that have uh, had adversity in their life. Then he talks about marriage and then he goes on to be content with what you have. He might be saying be content with your marriage, I don't know. But be content with what you have. But what I want to talk about today is that part of verse number four. Marriage is honorable in all. 
Then it goes on, and the bed undefiled. We'll talk about that part a little later. Everybody wants to talk about that part. But we'll talk about the honoring of marriage. It's very, very, very important. Marriage is not a contract. It's a covenant. When we read about God's covenant with Israel, God's not broken that. I know many of you sit here today and, and, and you've been divorced. You've been married more than once, maybe a couple times. And you've gone through a very hurtful time. And I'm not here to make light of that. I'm here to say to you, if you're in a relationship, you commit it to the Lord. From this day forward, you commit your life, your marriage, your being, everything about you to the Lord. See, we want to live holy lives. We want to be good to strangers. We want to be soft or, or to be compassionate about those that might be in trouble or they've been mistreated. We want to do those things. And we even want to be content. I think we do. We want to be with, content with what we have. But nestled in all this about living holy lives, he's put the marriage. And he says that it's honorable. Now, I know we live in a country and in a time where uh, in June of 2015, the Supreme Court did their best to redefine marriage. Well, they can come up with whatever they want, but God ordained marriage in the book of Genesis. And it's between a man and a woman, freely and totally committed to each other as companions for life. Now, that's not what I'm going to preach on today. I want to preach on honoring your marriage. Now, what we want to do is get into those practical things that we can do, and we'll get into that in just a minute. But before you can build on anything, and by the way, isn't marriage a lot of hard work? Well, maybe for a couple of you it is. Let me try that again. Now, this ought to be really big. Isn't marriage a lot of hard work? Well, you're halfway there. It's a lot of hard work, isn't it? Amen. You better believe it is. And something worth having is worth working for, isn't it? There's good times and bad. And, and we've sang today, in the good time and in the bad, you're still on the throne. You're still God. When he's hateful and she's hateful, you're still God. When things are going good, when things are not so good, when things are absolutely terrible, you are still God. The foundation, before we build on practical principles, is what I'm going to share with you, but we got to build on a good foundation. And I'm going to tell you, the foundation to build on is the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not a believer in Him, a follower of Jesus, you're on rocky ground at best. You're married, you may have, relation, you may have uh, relationships, you may have memories, but I'm going to tell you, they start to get top-heavy. Because winds come and winds blow, don't they? Storms rage. All types of earthquakes happen in our life. And without a good, strong foundation, it's hard to build. Y'all know I just got back from Israel again a few weeks ago. And I'm just always amazed at the original foundation that the builders built. Because you go to these places and they call them tales. And what that means is there's one civilization built upon another. 
And when they would come in, whether it was an earthquake that came, that happened, that destroyed the city, or, or whether it was a military overtaking and they overthrew the city, this is what they did. They dug down to the foundation and they built from the foundation on. And they would just build on top of each other because the original builders of these cities were incredible builders and they knew how to build a foundation. Now, you and I both know that the foundation's Jesus and we're at church today and that sounds good and that's the right answer and, and we know that. And you and I also know that, that, that he's everywhere. God's everywhere. He's in every room we walk into and we've seen skits about that and, you know, as we pertain to the youth, to be careful not to go here because you're taking Jesus with you and just make sure you do the right thing. We all know that, that God's everywhere. But it's something happens when we leave the property often it becomes a memory. Just, just a memory. Maybe uh, uh, God's relegated back to just um, a, a belief, and that's important. A memory, that's important. And a system of values, and that's really important. However, God's presence is in the room. Not just at the church house. Not just when the worship is good and the message is good and the fellowship is good. God is in the room. And if you and I could really fathom that, it's not just a memory or a concept of beliefs and values. If we can understand that God is actually in the room, then Ephesians 5, when it says, Husbands, love your wives the way Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. You would begin to actually think that way. And wives, submit yourself to your husbands because this is the right thing to do. We would actually think that way. If we really fathomed or stayed conscious about it, that he's actually in the room, every room, that would, not just the church house, not just at a retreat, but he's in the, every room of your life, we would probably act a whole lot different. Now, you may still have problems with your tongue, but if you do, then I think if you realize he was there very quickly, the Holy Spirit would, you would recognize the convicting of the Holy Spirit and you would try to correct that. The word I'm sorry would probably be used a little more often. But when you don't think he's around at all, and he's just a memory, and it's just a system of beliefs, you'll say all kinds of things. And whoever wrote, and, and I've shared this with you for 15 years. Whoever come up with this phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me, that guy was a quack. And I'd tell him if he is here. I'm going to tell you, there's been times in my life, I'd rather you hit me upside with a pole than some of the things that's been said to me and or about me, and you're the same way. And it's even worse in a marriage, isn't it? Because that person loves you. They're not going anywhere. And sometimes the person, the people that we love the most take the blunt of our dark side. Now, my wife is probably saying right now, preach on. <laughs> You're preaching to yourself. And let me tell you, I am. And these things that I'm going to share with you today... I'm not a typer, but I've got some things laid out for me, for, for myself, so I don't forget them. So I'm going to lay this to the side for just a minute, and I, and I just don't want to miss anything on these today. But I'm going to share with you five simple things this morning. You may say, Robbie, you're not going to preach a salvation message? Yes, I am. Let me tell you, to have a great marriage, Jesus needs to be in the center of it. 
And he cannot be in the center of your marriage if he's not in the center of your life. My wife knows very well when I am walking close to God and when I'm not. And I'll just tell you the secret. When I'm walking close to God, I'm a better husband. I'm better to her. When I'm walking with self and not close to God, the old Robbie pops up that's arrogant, that's rude, that's hateful. And I'll just lay it out. You all know this, but you just need to know we're a lot like you. I can be here at church and I can just talk to you all day. Well, yeah, sure. Well, God bless your heart. And then we can get in the car. Now, this ain't all the time, so don't think I'm that bad. I'm just being honest with you. And some, people, some preachers don't like to be honest, but I'm probably too honest sometimes. And sometimes, you know, we'll, get in the, we'll be here and I'll well, God, well, bless you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Just, just be good to them. And then I'll get in the car and Kim will say something and I'll go, what? You know, I got to work on that. So one of the first things that we need to talk about this morning, this is kind of like a marriage retreat this morning. Maybe it's going to be this way for the next couple of weeks. For the first thing I want you to do is, and, and by the way, these five things are intentional. They're not by accident. You may stumble upon them every once in a while and things feel good for a day or two or a week or so. But when they become intentional, it'll change your life. The first one is, I want you to cherish, or I think we need to cherish our marriage. Well, I do cherish it. Well, do you? What, what in the world does cherish mean? Successful marriages are made up of two people who intentionally keep account or keep score of the positive things they value of the other person. A lot of times in my pre-marriage counseling, I have said, don't keep score, don't keep score, don't keep score. I'm going to have to reevaluate that because we need to keep score of the good times. There's a lot of bad times in life. I can remember when, when, when Kayla's wreck had came, and it's all been, you know, it's been almost 10 years. In April, it'll be 10 years. Man, we're 10 years living a miracle. I mean, it's just absolutely wonderful. But several of those months, there was a lot going on. You all never knew. There was only a handful in the church that knew how the struggles we were going through and the rehab we were going through and Kayla was going through. And there were times in our life we were, we were trying to get through the next day and the next session and wondering what, where our future was headed with, with our daughter and our family. We just didn't know. But that there were times that, that we needed to live off of those old memories. Because what we were going through wasn't fun at all. It was, it was draining. It was depressing. It, it was taxing physically and spiritually. There were times I could you know, barely get in the pulpit and Kim could barely smile. I mean, we just kind of went through the motions. There were, there were times that we, we really didn't talk a whole lot. Everything that we did was involved around what was happening with our daughter and where would we be. Prognosis were not good. All those things. But we had... We were able to keep score of those good times. Because um, actually, they, they told us in a session, and I don't know if Kim remembers this or not, they told us in a session that, that when, when, when people have children that's gone through terrible situations, sometimes brain injury, sometimes even death, that most of the time those couples don't make it. 
If there's a handicap of some time, the probability is they're just not going to make it. That, that's kind of what they, 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 they predicted would happen. Thank God that we had good times to look back on. Now, even though we didn't talk about them all the time, I'm going to tell you, in my life, and I really can't speak for Kim, in my life, my mind went back to a better time. My mind went back to a happier time. Spiritually, physically, romantically, my mind went back because I cherished those moments. See, because when we go to battle sometimes, you know what we do? We bring up stuff, and I've been bad for this, bring up stuff from high school. Bring up, this is what you did, or this is what you didn't do. And what that is, is we're, we're cherishing the negative things. And, and we need to cherish our marriage, cherish our spouse. Try to find those things. And it may be harder than others, especially if, especially if we're not accustomed to this, because the, the negative is so easier to spot. It's so easier to bring up, especially when it's a negative or a hang-up that they've got that you don't have. It's an issue that they do that gets on your nerves. You don't have a problem with it, so it's the easiest thing to bring up, right? But what about those positive things? Keep in score. Write those down. Maybe that's a good homework assignment. Go, go home, and, 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 and it might be hard, but go home and, and come up with five things that you absolutely cherish about your spouse. It may be as simple as you go to work every day. It's so important for you to, to help provide. You're such a good mother to our children. You're so faithful to our family. It could lean toward romantic things, but I'll leave that up to you too. We'll talk about that in another message. But we need to cherish our marriage. We cherish all kinds of things. Let me see if I wrote down anything else I want to say before I go on to the next one. Just make sure that they're positive. I heard this, I don't know if it's true, and I've heard it two or three times, that for every, for every negative thing that you say, it takes like eight to ten positive things to cancel that out. Out of every negative thing. If I gave the invitation right now, the whole altar probably should be full and I should probably be the first one down here. Because it's so easy to bring up that negative. So let's cherish the positive. Cherish your marriage. Cherish your spouse. Outlove them. There you go. Outlove them. Be determined. Outlove them. And by the way, you can't do that in the flesh. It's a spiritual thing. See, because we're not bodies with spirit and souls. We're not bodies with souls. We're souls with bodies. So what goes on most of the time are spiritual things that are just manifested in the physical. So like I said, and I'll move on. Kim knows when I'm walking close with God. Not, be, not busy for God because I'm busy a lot. She knows when I'm walking intimately with God because I am a better husband. Kayla knows it because I'm a better daddy. Number two, nourish your marriage. This is a little harder. 
Cherishing's remembering back and all the good qualities. Now, remember the good ones, not the bad ones. Don't, don't fall into that trap to bring up the bad ones. Let's, let's bring up the good ones. But nourishing takes a little more work. Now, remember, these are intentional. And to nourish your marriage, listen to this. Nourishing your marriage is about discovering your mate, your spouse, your spouse's love language, and learning to speak it. And so nourishing is intentional, and it's learning, learning what you're, or, or, or discovering your, your mate's love language, and that's part of it. And I'm pretty good at that. There's five love languages. How many of y'all are familiar with the book by Gary Chapman, The Five Love Languages? Raise your hand. All right, it's a great book. I've read parts of it. I, I've not read all of a lot of books, but it's a good book. Here's the five love languages. You, you want to write this down. The first one, or, or these are not in any order, but one is words of affirmation. Another one is quality time. Another one is receiving gifts. Fourth one is acts of service. And the fifth one's physical touch. There's five, so words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. Now, I'll just tell you what mine are. Just so Kim will know. She already knows. Mine are words of affirmation and physical touch. I like to be encouraged. I like to be told that, that, that when I've done something well. Not only when I've done something wrong or bad or not well. Mine are words of affirmation and physical touch. I like to hug my bride. I like to love on her. I like to kiss her. I like when she kisses me. I don't want her looking off. You know, I, we have a little joke. A lot of times she'll look away and I'll go to kiss her and I'll say, oh, does the ceiling need to be uh, painted? I like physical touch. Let me tell you what Kim's are. You're, you're not going to kill me, are you? I'm already dead. Okay. Didn't get a smile on that one. I got a, hmm, and her legs doing this. Does anybody have a spare bedroom I can stay at this week? Kim's is acts of service, or I believe Kim's are. She's not told me this. I have interpreted that hers are acts of service and quality time. Her parents are here, and I would say that they would probably agree that I do pretty good on the acts of service. If she, and it's not gifts. It's not receiving gifts. Kim's not big about receiving gifts. But I will go out of my way, if at all possible. If, if I get home first, you know, I'll, I don't care to fly into those dishes. Now, I don't do very well with clothes because I've ruined them. But if they're separated, I can do that. But I'll jump in doing those floors I'll make that bed. I'll, I'll do those dishes. I, I'll try to do things that, 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 that she likes. My acts of service are really good. But her second one is quality time. And I probably get a D right there at best. Well, you're the preacher. You're not supposed to have quality time with your family. Well, yeah, I am. And it's not your fault. It's my fault. Because before I was a preacher, I was a workaholic at B&D. Anything I've ever done, I, I feel like I want to do really well. And I've got to do a better job of that. 
And there's all kinds of little tricks that you can do. One, I do a Bible study in Knoxville, and I meant to bring it. Uh, I, I do a Bible study in Knoxville on Wednesday morning with six business owners. And I guess just in conversation and Bible study and talking and becoming friends, they realized I needed something. So you know what they got me and Kim for Christmas? We got a little box. I should have brought it. A little box about that big. And I opened it up, and there's 12 envelopes in it. And I'm not allowed to open up. And it has on the front of it, it has the January, and then the next one's February, and then March. And then when we embark into that month, I'm to open up that envelope and see what's in it. And what it is, it is gift cards for me to take my bride out. Just time for me and her. And we've done one of them so far. We've done January. And we had a good time, didn't we? It was great. They're helping me. Help others. If you see that they're struggling, we'll talk about that a little more in a minute, but when you see people, not, not that me and Kim are struggling, don't go home. Preacher said they're struggling, so a support group in Knoxville had to jump in. I heard they were getting a divorce. You saw he's gaining weight, you know, he's probably a good night. Who knows what's going to happen next? <laughs> don't read. <laughs> Give me just a second. <clears throat> Sorry about that. But when you see somebody needs something, you can do it. It's a great act of kindness. It, it, it's a great gift that gives and gives and gives and gives. But try to learn what your, your, your spouse's love language is. And you, maybe you've been married 50 years. We've been married for 32. Dated for six before we got married. And I still don't get it right. Sometimes things will go really well. And then, I'll, and, then, and then things will change, and I'll, and I'll think, oh, what'd you do with my wife? Where's she at? And when I can look back, most of the time it's me. I've just hinted around those love languages and done a little bit instead of being intentional about it and making it part of my marriage and a part of my lifestyle. That doesn't mean every week's going to be great and hunky-dory and we're going to sing Kumbaya at the leech house all the time. But I'm going to tell you, when the rough times comes, go back to cherishing when you've built, when you know the language and you've invested in it and you've spent time together. Guess what? When you go through those dry things, you'll have something to eat from. And it'll get you through. It's important. So discovering your language, the love language, is one step, but implementing it and learning how to use it is another. And then continually using it is where we want to get to. Okay? Hey, guys, we're in this together. Ladies, be patient with us. We're trying to do the best we can. Number three, maintain a lifelong commitment. Your spouse needs to know that you're in this for the long haul. It's rough when every six months and you get in a fight and the D word pops up. Why don't we just get a divorce? I'd rather be doing that. I mean, that, that, that's, that's straight from the pits of hell. Now, that doesn't mean, oh my goodness, I got divorced. God doesn't let me. No, he does. But let me tell you, God, we know God wants your marriage to work. He wants my marriage to work. Kim and I have been married 32 years, and there's been times I didn't know if we were going to make it or not. It just gets tense. Have you ever been in those seasons? Now, y'all are looking at me like a mule looking at a new gate or a cow looking at a new gate. I hope you're in awe 
thinking, I know what you're talking about. I hope you're not judging me this morning because I'm sure not judging you. But I'm going to tell you, there's been times that I didn't know if we were going to make it. There's been times when I've been in the ministry, I didn't know if we were going to make it. You get those seasons in your life and you, and you wrestle with them, but your spouse and your children need to know that if you're in a marriage right now, that you're in it for the long haul. People that jump in and out, in and out, we're going to do this. They don't do it. Look at the stock market. I like finance stuff. Look at the stock market. Most of the time, on occasion, you'll find somebody that does well. But on occasion, or most of the time, those people that jump in and out, in and out of the stock market, they lose. But those people that get in at the beginning, like a retirement, an annuity of some kind, and you get in, and you weather that storm in the good times and bad. You look at the stock market in the last 60 years, what's it's done? It's, it's, even though it ain't doing great in the last few years, it's averaged over 10% on an average. And the people that are going to benefit from that are those long-term investors that have been there and stayed there. I've always talked in marriage. I am. If you miss that illustration, you're in bad shape. It's about grabbing hold of something and not letting go. You look at the gospel. The Bible talks about grabbing a hold of that gospel plow and don't look back. It may drag you through places you didn't think you were ever going to be. But hang on because I'm going to tell you the end result is really, really good. Your spouse needs to know that you can count on me. I'm going to be here. Even when I don't want to be here, I'm going to be here. Now, you all know this. I've shared it with you before. I love Kim with all my heart. I told my mom in the eighth grade that she was who I wanted to marry. And there's times I didn't think that was going to happen. There is no other woman for me. For 15 years, I hope, I hope that, that if I were to leave this world tomorrow, that you all would be able to say about Robbie Leach, man, he loved God, he loved his wife, he loved this family, and he loved Beachwood Baptist Church. <laughs> Beach Park. I love her with all my heart, but there's times I can't stand to hear the sound of her voice. Right? I mean, guys, help me. And I know there's times she can't hear the sound of mine because I talk a whole lot more than she does. And then there's times I want to be quiet. Imagine that. And there's times that she wants to talk. Imagine that because she's an introvert. And it's hard. It's hard to sing on the same page. But I'm going to tell you, this, this is how music is. If you had the choir here and they had their music and they were all on the same page, well, that's a start. But, but, but what if we're, I'm singing at this measure, measure and the rest, everybody else is singing down here? That, that ain't where it's supposed to be. Being on the same page is a beginning, but that's not all of it. We need to be on the same page, in the same measure. And when it's unison, and there's times in a marriage that is unison, all in one, it's going to be strong, it's going to be unified, that, that's where we are. But then we're made different, aren't we? And that's going to be another message, but we're made different. Tenors need to sing the tenor part. Basses need to sing the bass part. 
Altos sing the alto part and sopranos sing the soprano part. And when you do, when you get to that point, even though you're on the same page, you get to the same measure and you're singing your part, you know what you've got? You've got harmony. You've got music. And isn't it nice in a marriage? When you're on the same page, and that's a start, but you're on the same page, on the same line, in the same measure, and there's times when you're singing the same note, when there's a situation with those kids, you've got to be unified because you know those kids, we once were kids, and they'll choose the path of least resistance. They'll choose the weak parent, and you as parents, and this I'm getting way ahead of myself, but you've got to be unified. And when we stand for our faith, we've got to be unified. When we stand for our family against the, the, the gates of hell that come against the family. Don't you know the family's under attack? Our law says that what the Bible says about marriage is wrong. And you can make marriage whatever you want. We need to stand, we need to be in a unified form, a husband and wife standing for the, the sanctity of marriage, but also our marriage. Kim and I need to stand for the family that lives at 109 Aspen Lane, Oliver Springs, Tennessee, 37840. And you need to stand for yours. But then there's times, and this will be in the next message, then there's times when she's going to have to sing her part and I'm going to sing mine. And by itself, it sounds funny. If you've ever been to choir practice, and by the way, if you're not in the music ministry at Beach Park Baptist Church and you can carry a tune in a bucket, or even if you can't and you love the Lord and want to sing, you need to get in there because we need your help together. And when Eric takes us through the practice and we're trying to learn a new song and they'll pick out that soprano line, that sounds pretty good because that's the melody line, right? And then the tenors will sing theirs by themselves and it sounds kind of funny. And then Kevin and basses come in. Oh, it sounds marvelous. You know how that sounds. Got to throw that in. He's a deacon. And then the altos will come in. It'll sound a little strange, but then he'll put two more together. The altos and sopranos will sing. And then he'll do the tenors and basses together, and they'll sing. It starts to gradually look like something. And then all of a sudden, all four parts come in. Bam. And then you come out and you sing a song like you did this morning. It praises the Lord. Our hearts are stirred. God's glorified. And you have worship. That's what you have. So, about got cut loose preaching right there. So maintain a lifelong commitment. Let your spouse know and let those kids know that you're in for the long haul. Say, Brother Robbie, but I'm alone. I've just gone through a divorce or uh, been married before. Listen, there's not a whole, whole lot we can do about the past. If there's forgiveness that needs to be asked for, ask for it. If there's forgiveness that needs to be granted, give it. But the only thing that you and I can do, now listen to me, the only thing that you and I can do is to go from where we are at this very moment, at 11.59, it's a little later than I thought it was, 11.59 on a Sunday morning, the only thing we can do is to go from where we are forward. If we're going to live in the past, let's remember the good things. Learn from the bad things. Don't bring them up all the time, and let's move this thing forward. Jesus is coming, by the way. And I'm going to tell you, the institution of marriage is a good picture of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to present it to the world. I'm almost done. Number four, we need to spend quality, enjoyable time together. We need to spend enjoyable time together. This is important. 
Don't spend all your time apart. Spend it together. Nourish that time. Make regular dates. This, this Bible study group's helping me to do that. Develop, develop me, meaningful traditions in your marriage and in your family. Traditions that you can look back on. Because what is our life? James says, what is your life? It's just a vapor. It's here for a moment and it vanishes away. Yesterday I went to the receiving of friends, uh, uh, of a dear friend of our family's lived right beside him. He's attended this church before Carmi Schultz. Carmi passed away. And I didn't share these with Kim, but, but after I heard that he had passed away, my mind went back to all kinds of things. Squirrel hunting on that ridge behind our house. One time when our dog got run over and we thought it was going to die, and Carmi was right there to help us. I was a kid, but he was right there. Him coming up to our house and bringing tomatoes and corn out of his garden, those type of things. Him working down at the Walnut Mountain Coal Temple. You know, you remember things, good things. And we need to do that. But we need to spend enjoyable time together so we can develop those things. But as a spouse... But that's got to be a balance. Now, Kim and I have been down this road. We've spent time at the ball field and the gym and the cheerleading camp. We've done those things, and those are good memories. But it's far more than that. Because if the only memory that you have that you're so busy, if the only memory that you have is around those sporting events or those activities, what happens when those are gone? When, when your whole life is focused around that. Now, and it's okay to do that, understand, but there's a balance to everything, is there not? But when your whole life and your marriage, and Kim and I have wrestled with that, when your whole being is around that, see, one day that's going to quit. It's going to end. It can end because not everybody in this area goes pro. Most of us do, but, but not everybody does. It ends with an injury sometimes, with a financial reason or whatever. But if that becomes our focus in our marriage, when that is gone, there is a huge hole that is very difficult to fill. So you could be involved in all those things, but there's got to be a balance. You've got to nurture that. Remember, you've got to cherish that, and you've got to spend quality time together. Now, that does not mean, and let me pray, and, and it's worth going over today, okay? I still got another point, but this is important because how the family goes, that's where the church is going, right? Family does well, the church can do well. If family does horrible, the church is not going to do very well because the church is made up of families. So, I don't need to do every single thing with Kim. Now, Kim's my best friend. She goes to the grocery store. I go with her most of the time. Sometimes she'll say, if you need to study, I'll go by myself. But we'll, we'll go together. But there's things that I don't need to do with her. I don't want to do with her. She doesn't want to do with me. She doesn't need to do with me. Eric and I need to get, Eric and I need to go do something, not just me and Kim all the time. You need to have that balance. Now, here's what I want to throw this out to you. Make sure when you go do stuff with people other than your spouse, make sure that it's somebody of the same sex that you are, not somebody of the opposite sex. Whatever you do, well, I, I, I'm just going to go golfing. Well, I'm going to go golf with another, with another female. No, 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 no. 
Or I'm going to go here. I'm going to go, go, go here. And I'm going to get a, another guy to go with me. Or I'm going to get, a, yeah, I got to go with me. Can we say, absolutely not. Number one, I'm jealous and I'll kill him. All right? God's jealous. I figure I can be jealous too. But it just doesn't make good sense, does it? So I want to spend my enjoy. We want to do things that we enjoy together. But at the same time, there needs to be a balance. You need to spend time with other people as well. Does that make sense? Is what I'm saying today make sense to you? Okay, good. Good. It's important to spend that in, in time. But don't let it just be at the gym. I don't regret the times that we spent uh, chasing Blake, playing ball. But I'm going to tell you what, it came to an end. It came to an end. Lastly, we need to be community-minded. What? Community-minded. And I originally had church-minded, but we know that. And church is a major part. But you know, we live in communities. We need to be community-minded. And this is what I wrote down. It's vital to regularly connect with like-minded couples who are committed to your relationship. Like-minded people... Don't run around with people that are cheating all the time on their spouse. You, you don't need to get around that. You need to avoid that. You lay down with dogs, you're going to come up with fleas. You need to be with like-minded people on faith. Now, there's a time we're going to be around people that, that, that don't have the faith that we have. God's planted us there, and we need to realize what we're there for. And we need to watch what we're doing. We need to dot every I, cross every T, and we need to live a life that's above reproach. We need to live a holy life and a righteous life, not a self-righteous life, but a holy life and a righteous life that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. So we're going to be around people that are not saved, that have a different value. So I understand that, but the, and, and, and that's going to happen. But the people that I choose to be around, they need to be like-minded people in faith and in marriage. That I want to be around, uh, Kim and I need to be around other couples who, who want mine and her marriage to be a success. And we want theirs to be a success. So the things that we do together, whether it's a vacation or going out to eat or spending time together or whatever the case may be, it's something that will build my marriage and not hurt my marriage. Because if you're running around with folks, even if it's friends on your own or husband's friends on your own, that, that, that they do things to drag your marriage down, you get out of that and you get out of it today. Don't even go back to it. If, if you've got to ask to have your cubicle moved, then ask for the cubicle to be moved. That was a tongue twister, wasn't it? Because I'm going to tell you, Satan is intentional. And John 10.10 tells you what he's all about. The thief cometh but to steal, kill, and destroy. But the rest of that verse tells you what Jesus is all about. But I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And I believe that includes in your marriage. So, what's a great place for that to happen? I'm glad you asked. That's a New Testament church. Now, is Beach Park a perfect church? Absolutely not. I don't know of one. If Beach Park was a perfect church, I couldn't be a member, much less the pastor. But we can come together, like-minded people with our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know we're struggling. We all are. But together, 
if we could come together. See, if you're not in Sunday school, I'm just going, you're robbing yourself. If you have children in your home and you're not bringing them to Sunday school, you're robbing your children of an opportunity. Wednesday night Awana program, we, we saw the Awana Awards thing, those kids up here quoting scripture. I was blessed. I was encouraged Wednesday night to see this. If, if you have youth age and they're not involved in the youth program, you're robbing those children. And here's the deal. Well, here's one of the deals. We live in a society today where the children or youth are telling the parents what to do. And we only have them for a little while. And you know what? A lot of people's raising children. And God's not called us to raise children. He's give, I'm just going to get on my soapbox for just a minute. God's not called us to raise children. He's called us to raise adults. He gave us children. So all the way up through their formative years, all the way up to the 18, we should have a major say about them coming to church. And then us as a staff, we need to do our part as a staff and volunteer lay people in this church. We need to do our part to be prayed up, prepared, and ready. Because guys, if we don't, they'll go somewhere else. And if we're not ready, they should go somewhere else, to tell you the truth. We need to be ready to love them and give them Jesus. And then they're going to go out in this world and they'll have something to stand on. 